attempt to answer a question asked by a fifth grader. Siddhant asked, is there other life out there? Extraterrestrial life is a hypothetical life which may occur outside Earth and which did not originate on Earth. Such life might range from simple prokaryotes to intelligent beings and even sapient beings possibly bringing forth civilizations which might be far more advanced than humanity. Astrophysicist Avi Loeb writes that the search for extraterrestrial life has never been more than an oddity to the vast majority of scientists. That attitude may be changing. In the past few years, there has been a flurry of new interest in the search for aliens. Tech billionaires are funding novel efforts to scan the heavens for evidence of life. And after decades of giving the field short shrift, NASA recently joined the search. In October 2017, a telescope in Maui, Hawaii, captured an exotic speck speeding across the sky. It was interstellar, recognized as the first object we've ever seen that originated outside our solar system. Unusual though it was, the astronomical community quickly arrived at a consensus. The object, named Oumuamua, which translates roughly to the Hawaiian for scout, was some kind of comet, asteroid, or other body of natural origin. Avilob disagrees. According to him, the simplest explanation is that Oumuamua was created by an intelligent civilization not of this Earth. The object's size, shape, luminosity, and in particular its unexpected trajectory around the sun suggested something like a light sail, a large, thin, reflective object that might propel a vehicle using starlight in the way a sailboat is pushed by the wind. Paul Chodis, manager of the Center for Near-Earth Object Studies at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Pasadena, California, thought it was a fascinating discovery. How can we know if a part of the universe can support life? Prashant will help us understand that. Thanks, Pratik. Well, what one group of scientists believe when they look for life outside Earth is that life most likely exists on planets with conditions just like ours. There is only one planet we know of so far that is teeming with life, Earth. And on our planet, water is a critical ingredient for life as we know it. While astronomers still don't know whether there's life on other planets, they narrow the search for potentially habitable worlds using a handful of criteria. Because our blueprint for life is Earth, astronomers look for planets with Earth-like characteristics, like liquid water. But a celestial object can orbit only so close, like Mercury, or so far, like Pluto, from its star before water on its surface either boils away or freezes. The Goldilocks zone, or the habitable zone, is the range of distance with the right temperatures for water to remain liquid. Discoveries in the Goldilocks zone, like the Earth-sized planet Kepler-186f, are what scientists hope will lead us to water and one day to life. Whether a body is in the Goldilocks zone of its host star is dependent on three factors. One, the radius of the planet's orbit. Two, the mass of the body itself. And three, the radioactive flux of the host star. Given the large spread in the masses of planets within a Goldilocks zone, coupled with the discovery of super-Earth planets, which can sustain thicker atmospheres and stronger magnetic fields than Earth, Goldilocks zones are now split into two separate regions. A conservative habitable zone, 
in which lower mass planets like Earth can remain habitable, complemented by a larger extended habitable zone in which planets like Venus with stronger greenhouse effects can have the right temperature for liquid water to exist on the surface. Generally, planets are considered habitable if they are able to maintain surface liquid water for a period of time that is long enough to allow the evolution of life. The hunt for such exoplanets is conducted with specific distances of certain types of stars. The cooler, smaller and less massive stars have habitable zones closer to them than larger, hotter, more massive stars. This inner edge of the Goldilocks zone is generally defined as how close a planet can orbit its star before a runaway greenhouse effect is triggered, leading to the evaporation of surface water. Arishite and his colleagues contest that this definition doesn't hold for a smaller, low-gravity planet. A runaway greenhouse effect happens when a planet's atmosphere absorbs more heat than it loses via radiating into space. This prevents a planet from cooling, leading to uncontrollable heating, which eventually leads to the oceans and surface water boiling off. But as a planet's decrease in mass and size, this process is altered. As smaller planets warm, their atmospheres are able to expand outward more freely due to a lower gravitational pull. As these atmospheres become larger in relation to the radius of the planet, their capability to both absorb and radiate heat is also increased, thus meaning that the planet can more easily maintain temperature stability and stave off runaway greenhouse effects. This means that atmosphere expansion allows low-gravity planets to maintain liquid water even when they orbit in close proximity to their host stars. Now, given this Goldilocks zone is present elsewhere in the universe, life cannot just be here on Earth, right? I mean, what are the odds? Aaron, could you take a stab at this? I can give it a try, Prashant. Whether there is life outside Earth or not is still mysterious in nature. On one hand, the sheer number of planets suggests that life should be present on at least one other planet. And on the other hand, it's also possible that for life to exist itself is an extremely high chance of randomness. An Italian-American physicist called Enrico Fermi summed this up in a simple question. Anyone looking out at the night sky has probably asked themselves, where is everybody? Or to put it in another way, it's a big universe. So why can't we see life anywhere but here on Earth? That's a question Fermi asked himself while having lunch one day in the year 1950. And unlike most other people, he decided to use math to figure this problem. We should consider ourselves lucky that Fermi decided to take up this problem because he was known to be a gifted theoretician who was also great at statistical mechanics. In fact, he was the first person to talk about the existence of a neutrino and also build a nuclear reactor. He even got the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1938. Anyway, when Fermi looked at this puzzling question, he used a rather simple approach of inquiry and assumption. We know that the Milky Way contains hundreds of billions of stars, and billions of them are similar to the Sun. That makes it highly likely that some of these stars will have planets that are similar to Earth. If we assume that Earth is not particularly special, intelligent life should also exist on some fraction of these Earth-like planets. Some of these intelligent life forms might develop advanced technology and even interstellar travel. Interstellar travel would take a long time, but since there are so many sun-like stars that are billions of years older, there has been plenty of time for which travel, for which uh, such kind of interstellar travel could have occurred. Given all this, why haven't we met or even seen 
any trace of aliens. Again, where is everybody? According to another nuclear physicist, Mr. Herbert York, who was also present at that lunch with Fermi, said that Fermi reportedly used rough calculations to find an answer to the problem, but he never quite pursued the question seriously. And so it got passed on to another astrophysicist called Michael Hart, who worked out the remaining math behind it, and some people even argue that the paradox should have been named after Michael instead. Nonetheless, a few of the suggestions that came out of all of this are that, uh, well, the first and most obvious answer is that we are alone. Earth is unique in having life, and maybe eventually intelligent life will inevitably destroy itself using either nuclear weapons or through artificial intelligence or even global warming. Other ideas include the suggestion that we're not looking for the right kind of signs, or that aliens are so alien we can't even recognize them as living beings. Maybe other civilizations are deliberately keeping us in the dark until we are ready to join the galactic community. Or perhaps other life is abundant actually, but the living in oceans unaware that anything else exists. The possibilities are endless, and speculation will no doubt continue forever, or at least until we find extraterrestrials. We're not sure if we've answered the question, but we do hope that this podcast tells you that we as a species really don't know if there's life beyond Earth. So until then, let's hope that the golden records we sent out 44 years ago on both the satellites Voyager 1 and 2 will let intelligent life out there know that we would like to know that they exist. Hey kids, thank you for listening to our podcast. Please share this podcast with all your friends and family. We would love to hear from you so if you have any comments or questions, email them to us at makerspace at the rateinventureacademy.com. Bye.